here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the brand new Las Vegas Raiders. This is the Raiders Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now your host, Ryan O'Leary and Raiders Wire editor Marcus Mosher. Hey, what's going on, Marcus? Like an interesting bye week for the Raiders as they sit home and watch their opponent here coming up this week just demolish the Packers, right? The Bucks like pitch a perfect game in a national TV spot. So they're watching that and they're also watching, as you put on the Raiders wire, every other team they're competing with potentially for a wild card spot win, right? And their odds mm-hmm. for getting into the playoffs actually drop on their bye week. So, man, they must have been watching all weekend. Like, can anyone give us, like, can throw us a bone? Like, can anyone help us out? Yeah, they really needed the bye week to get healthy, but week six was not very kind to them. You know, Kansas no. City won, uh, Indianapolis won. You know, a lot of these teams, again, that they could potentially be competing with for playoff spots, Pittsburgh won, Tennessee, they, they all won. So uh, the Raiders find themselves in a little bit worse spot than they were a week ago, but I'm, I'm sure they'll take the bye considering all the injuries they had. Yeah, they, they should petition Roger Goodell to join the NFC East. You know, maybe, maybe. <laughs> well, they would already have the division clinched by now, right? <laughs> yeah, they, they would, they would, they would. So, man, watching that Bucks packers game, obviously the, the Raiders now going up against the Tom Brady and the Bucks uh, Sunday night game. That's going to be that's going to be a fun one. Mm. You know, watching that Bucks defense kind of torment Aaron Rodgers after the Packers go up 10 nothing in the ball game, and then Rodgers kind of he gets in the end zone. They end up turning overturning the call, but he does a TD celebration where he kind of I don't know what you call that thing. It wasn't the discount double check thing. It was it was the, uh, the Hingle McCringleberry okay, from uh, yeah. Comedy Central. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it was. It was kind of he's kind of flashing the Hogan there, and uh, <laughs> uh, man, it went downhill from that point on. He, he's got to retire that dance because it didn't go well. And it just you see the Bucks speed on defense, right? It really flashes. Those linebackers come out of nowhere and just pop you. And the Bucks mm-hmm. defense is sick, and they didn't commit any penalties against the Packers, and they really, really, really look good. So uh, an interesting spot for the Raiders coming off the bye against uh, a Bucks team that we've seen them be horrible against the Bears and then, like, look perfect against the Packers. So you just never know what Bucks team you're going to get, right? Yeah, and this is going to be a fascinating matchup between the Raiders and Buccaneers because you're right. That defense, the, the talent they have is absolutely incredible, and the speed in the front seven is ridiculous, and that's why they're the number one team in the league against the run. Those cornerbacks are playing extremely well with Carlton Davis and Jamel Dean and then Antoine Winfield, uh, their rookie safety. But on paper, at least, it looks like the Raiders might be able to match up with them, right? This is a team that has one of the best offensive lines in football. Again, they're getting Trent Brown back, their Pro Bowl right tackle. Uh, they've got just a massive, massive offensive lineman up front. They've got a running back in Josh Jacobs, uh, who is one of the best after contact. So if the Raiders offensive line can neutralize their pass rush at all and be able to run the ball and set up play action and stuff over the middle to Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro, they might be able to have some success. It's going to be a, a really fascinating matchup considering you know the Raiders are averaging over 30 points per game this season and Tampa Bay's been just so dominant on defense yeah and you, and you just hit on it that's like my key to the game too because you know I feel like the Raiders got to be able to run the ball to to win ball games that's just how they want to play in that West Coast offense and Gruden scheme Josh Jacobs is, is probably their best player on offense mm-hmm. so like they got to get the run game going but even dating back to last year 
no one can run on this Bucks team. They just can't. And they're averaging, what is it, like 64 yards a game they're allowing on the ground. And when you watch it, I, I don't watch the All-22 or anything, but when I just watch it on TV, you can see it. Like, you try to run the ball and bang, there's pops, you know? Like, you're getting popped on it. You know, they, mm. it's hard to gain yards on the ground against the Buccaneers. So that's the big question, right? Can the Raiders scheme up a way with the extra time they had? Can they scheme up a way to get the running game going? I think if they can, absolutely, they'll be in the ballgame. Yeah, so one of the reasons Tampa Bay is so good at stopping the run are those two, those two linebackers, right? Devin White and Levante David. Uh, both of those guys can just absolutely fly to the football, and when they get there, they they just can make some incredible contact, and they have power uh, to drive back ball you know ball carriers. But Josh Jacobs, as you mentioned, again, one of the best running backs in all of the NFL, typically takes two or three guys to bring him down. Uh, we're going to have some absolutely massive collisions absolutely. in this game between David and Josh Jacobs, and who can win? those and who can make you know if, if Jacobs can make some of these guys miss in open space uh, I think they'll give themselves a chance in the ground but again that's strength on strength so should be a lot of fun on Sunday night football Derek Carr might have to have his own Hogan dance if he knocks if he knocks <laughs> off uh, Pat Mahomes and Tom Brady in back Andrew Brees uh, Andrew Brees oh, early in the season yeah, yeah. Oh, he'll be going to the negotiating table like oh, no 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 you're not going out. you're not going you're not replacing me here in Las Vegas interesting a little bit on the Raiders wire a little bit on Twitter a little bit of chatter about the Raiders maybe being active in the trade market for some receivers right I've heard a rumor about Zay Jones I heard mm-hmm. someone talking about maybe a John Ross from over in Cincy that seems like it could be a good fit his style and the Raiders style do you think that's uh, you know that's viable do you think the Raiders would actually go and make a move at the wide receiver position? I think it's certainly possible. We've seen Mike Mayock and John Gruden be aggressive at the trade deadline before, whether it's trading away players like a Gary on Conley, a first round pick or an Amari Cooper uh, and going out and getting a guy like Zay Jones, who they got last year. But I do think they are interested in building on this offense. They believe they can compete this season. So if a guy like John Ross or Kenny Stills, who are available, if they can bring one of those guys in on the cheap to give them some Henry Ruggs insurance, because we've seen so far this year, this offense just isn't the same when they don't have that deep threat or the speed element to, you know, being able to create plays down the field. I think the Raiders are going to explore it. We'll see which names come available over the next 10, 14 days. Uh, but yeah, certainly don't put it past the Raiders to make a move at receiver. All right. We know how important Josh Jacobs is. Josh Jacobs matters to the Raiders, but mm. running backs don't matter to Marcus. Following him go. on Twitter. So we'll get into that here coming up in the next segment. We'll throw some random questions at Marcus from around the league and from the Raiders. We'll do that here coming up next. Fantasy football is about proving that you are better than your friends. Sit them, start them. These are the fantasy picks of the week. It will kill me if this game ends in a tie. I need this win. This game's pretty much done. With Corey Bonini from thehuddle.com. Corey Bonini with thehuddle.com here to talk to you about fantasy football strong plays for week number seven. Quarterback Joe Burrow versus the Cleveland Browns. These teams met in week two, and if you'll remember, Burrow threw 61 times. Don't expect that in this one, but he finished with 316 yards and three scores. Those numbers are just slightly better than what is being allowed by Cleveland on the year at 290 and just over two touchdowns. Approaching 303 is within reason, but be very happy with 280 and two. Running back Latavius Murray of the New Orleans Saints 
Saints versus the Carolina Panthers. New Orleans is fresh off of their bye, and they face a defense that has given up eight rushing touchdowns in six games, plus allowing more than 100 yards per game on the ground to the position. While the scoreboard usually dictates Murray's role in the offense, he has seen at least 10 touches in each of his last three games and in four of the five contests that he's played this year. Carolina is dreadful against running backs. Marvin Jones of the Detroit Lions faces the Atlanta Falcons on the road. While Jones has been awfully silent of late, producing only 17 yards in his last two games combined, and he has no touchdowns with Kenny Galladay in the lineup, there's still upside here. Atlanta has given up the fifth most points in both prominent fantasy football scoring systems. Most of the damage has come via being the second worst defense for yardage and the seventh for catches allowed. This game also has a potential for a shootout given how poor Detroit's defense has played most of the season. Another player who at one point was featured prominently in fantasy football, Evan Ingram, the tight end for the New York Giants. On Thursday night, he travels to Philadelphia for a top six matchup in all meaningful statistics for fantasy. This defense has given up the fourth most catches, sixth most yardage, and sixth highest touchdown efficiency rating. It hasn't been pretty for the Giants, especially for Ingram. At some point, it's going to click, and gamers have to be ready to take the chance and not miss out on such a premier matchup. For more fantasy football news and advice, make sure to check out thehuddle.com. Okay, Marcus, I had to throw this one at you before we get into some questions, random questions, because, uh, you know, Zeke, your guy Zeke mm-hmm. Elliott, having a tough time uh, holding on to the football. I think you put out there, what, what is it, seven fumbles in his last 13 games or something. That's not a good stat for Zeke. And uh, he's struggling, and the Cowboys obviously paid him a lot of money, and you're an anti-pay-money-to-running-backs kind of guy, right? So, what, like, I'll, I'll give you the floor. Because I know a lot of people love to come at you and, and yell at you about your takes about Zeke and, and maybe a Todd Gurley, which proved mm-hmm. you right, proved you right, by the way, and some of these other yeah. backs. So go ahead. Take the floor. Yeah. So first and foremost, I want to put this out there. When you hear the argument running backs don't matter, I think a lot of people translate translate that into the running game doesn't matter. And that's absolutely not true, right? You still need to be able to run the ball in today's NFL to keep balance, to move the chain. So running is still incredibly important. However, who's doing the running is what's interchangeable, right? The difference between an Ezekiel Elliott and a Saquon Barkley and a Todd Gurley isn't different really than a replacement level running back. You're getting the same type of production. And what we've seen over the last decade now is the more touches these guys get, you know, onto their career, the less efficient they can get. And Ezekiel Elliott's the, the perfect example of this. Rather than paying him $15 million, draft somebody every two, three years in the third, fourth round, you'll get similar production at a very cheap price. So it just doesn't make sense from a team-building perspective to spend all that money on a running back when it's really the, the offensive line and the quarterback that dictates how efficient a rushing attack is in today's NFL. I got to say, I, I think you've been proven right more than you've been proven wrong over uh, the test of time. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that, Marcus. Yeah, the, 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 the only one that the only one right now that that has me questioning that is Derrick Henry. And uh, listen, yeah, yeah, he's that's a, a unicorn that's a, though. Right, he's, and he's that's a unicorn every now and then. Right, and the, here's the thing for like Cowboy fans is you know going back to the 2016 draft. A lot of Cowboys fans wanted Derrick Henry in the second round over Ezekiel Elliott at number four. And while the first couple of years it appeared the Cowboys made the right choice, I think we can see, you know, long term the uh, that Derrick Henry is just a better player. Absolutely. So, OK, so that was some of your Twitter beef where you had to school some some Cowboys <laughs> fans, uh, you know, Monday night, late into the night. Marcus sure. dabbling deep into the Cowboys Twitter uh, abyss. I love it. You know, it's it takes quite a man to go into that abyss and you did it. So good for you. It's it's quite the uh, quite the space. 
face out there on Twitter. Yeah, I, yeah. I highly recommend not uh, doing what I did. I'm yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, me too, me too. Yeah, yeah. Dude, it's not for everyone. It's not for no, everyone. So. Absolutely not. But for me, like you know, I'm watching the Patriots game. You know, I'm out here in New England, so that's our that's our main team that we get on national TV and stuff. And watching the game, and and an interesting situation came up that actually Mike McCarthy and the Cowboys used in their comeback win over the Falcons earlier in the year. It was the uh, the whole argument, the analytics argument about going for two early when you're down mm-hmm. by two scores. And and what happened was the Patriots were down by, I believe, 15 points. Cam Newton finally scores a friggin' touchdown. The Patriots finally score with 831 remaining in the fourth, and that touchdown makes it 18-9. to nine. So the Patriots are now down by nine points. All the fans, all the broadcasters on the radio and the TV, all my friends, everyone wants the Patriots to kick the extra point to make it an eight-point ball game, and I, one of my buddies, texts me right away, and you know why? why the, you know after the Patriots go for two and miss it, and now they're down by two scores going forward with eight thirty-one left and two timeouts. I'm getting texts from my buddies being like, "What an idiot! Bill Belichick's an idiot." And I'm like, "No, don't call Belichick an idiot just because you don't understand the situation and why he's doing it." Right? So there's this whole thing, and, and I've been listening over the last couple of days on talk radio over here, Marcus. Everyone is kind of against this decision that Belichick made. They all think that hey, maybe it makes sense analytics-wise, but it's a stupid call i'm actually believe it or not i mean i know this everyone's gonna be shaking their head who knows me that hears this i'm with belichick and i'd rather take belichick's word for it that he knows what he's doing and i totally understand when there's that much time on the clock 831 i think you go for two right away now you get to learn the outcome of that two-point conversion which you need mm-hmm. to get even if you were to score the touchdown at the end of the game you need the two-point conversion either way so do it right now now we know if we made it or not and we can manage the remainder of this eight minutes and 31 seconds to get two scores rather than rather than the one, right? So um, I, that, that's how I see it. I think Belichick made the right call. What do you think? Because I know this came up in that Cowboys game, and it, and it comes yeah. up all the time, and fans lose their mind over it. No, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's about giving yourself multiple chances at victory, right? If you just kick the extra point and you're down eight, the best case scenario here is that you're going to be able to get a touchdown and get the two-point conversion. If you happen to get the two-point conversion early, you actually give yourself a chance to win in regulation if you want to do that as well. Um, but the also the other part that we're not adding in and people often forget is that that extra point isn't automatic anymore, right? Especially it's not like Folk. Exactly. And that's part of the equation, right? I mean, it's still a, a high percentage kick. You're still in the 90s. But if you have a poor place kicker, you know, that could drop the odds down by 10%. So it's not a given that you make that extra point. Uh, go for two. Know early how you have to manage the clock the rest of the game. Give yourself multiple chances at trying to win this game or trying to get it to overtime. I love the strategy. Didn't work out for Belichick in this one doesn't mean it won't work out next time. Of course, Sean McVay, similar situation later on against the 49ers on Sunday Night Football, and he kicks the extra point to make it an eight-point game, but there was only like three minutes left. You could even make the argument that McVay screwed that up too. But. Yeah, I, I would agree because, you know, if, if he kicks, if he goes for too early, okay, now you know that, hey, we need to go for an onside kick right now. We can't afford to kick the ball back to the 49ers. I think McVay did make uh, a mistake. Uh, maybe the reward and the, you know, was the risk was a little bit lower, uh, but I do think he made in terms of an analytical decision and probability of winning that game the wrong choice. All right, so I'm going to play this podcast for all my friends and, and hopefully, hopefully <laughs> now they're on my side. Mark Marcus is a freaking NFL expert, guys. So listen to Marcus and stop giving me crap, please. Yeah, we're, we're just trying to educate you. That's all. Yeah, yeah, we, we, yeah. we don't have no, we have no stake in this. That's just, been, we just want everybody to be smarter. That's been my thing. It's like you can have your own opinion even if it's wrong. That's fine. Like, exactly. It's fine. Exactly. You know, so, so more questions with Marcus here coming up next. 
It's that time again for the line of the week. The inside track to the favorites, the underdogs, and the over-unders. I think I want my money back. Now, here are Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren from USA Today's Sportsbook Wire. Hello, I'm Eston McLaren of SportsbookWire.com and Bet Slippin' Podcast. Here's what you need to know to bet on the Week 7 Sunday night football game between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Las Vegas Raiders. The Bucs are coming off their most impressive win of the season, beating the Green Bay Packers 38-10 in Week 6 to move to 4-2. The Raiders, who are 3-2, are coming off a Week 6 bye after stunning the Kansas City Chiefs with a 40-32 road win in Week 5. The Buccaneers come in as three-point road favorites. Las Vegas Raiders, their home dogs, plus three, over under a 53.5. Buccaneers, they got a win by four points to cover that spread. I'm back in the Raiders. They stay within three points. They might even win outright. I'm going to put a little sprinkle on the plus 130 money line for the home Raiders. Check out sportsbookwire.com for more. With all odds from BetMGM Sportsbook, subscribe to Best Up and Podcast with new episodes every Friday morning. Be sure to rate and review. All right, Marcus, i got to ask you a question about your Cowboys. We mentioned the NFC East earlier on in the program. The Cowboys or someone in, the, in this NFC East is going to be sub-500 and hosting a uh, playoff game. I think we see that coming at this point. Do you think that's right? Do you think you know, the NFL will eventually, and maybe look at this year, will eventually look at their playoff thinking and be like, all right, a team that's sub-500 in that Windsor division should not be hosting a playoff game when a team like maybe the Pittsburgh Steelers or you know the Saints on the NFC side or even the sure. Bears are going to have a good record, a good season, and they're going to be on the road due to the wild card situation. So what do you think about that? Yeah, so I know a lot of people want to take away the automatic playoff berths, and I don't think that makes sense. I think you're always going to want to have at least one team coming from each division. But I think you're right, Ryan. I think there's going to be some discussion about should these teams host a playoff? Game. I'm not sure it's fair if a six, nine, and one Eagles team is going to be hosting, you know, the let's say a 12 and four Chicago team or a 12 and four Green Bay team. That doesn't seem right. I do think eventually they will change that. But listen, is it going to be that surprising to you if somebody from this NFC East team sneaks into the playoffs, hosts a game, and wins a playoff game? Like, nope. that's just how stupid the NFL is. Yep. We've seen this yep. before with the uh, that Seattle team with Marshawn Lynch and Matt Hasselbeck, right? They were a 7-9 while our 7-9 NFC West division winner. Uh, they played the Saints in round one and upset them. That's the, the Marshawn Lynch, you know, run game. So the NFL is weird. Strange things Strange things happen. Uh, we'll see how this season plays yeah, no, out. You, you watch. It'll be Washington, right, with their, with their young <laughs> running backs, their good receivers. Receiver, their good defensive line. All of a sudden, they'll get hot somehow. Oh, Washington, it's... the Washington football team will make a run. You wait. Something weird's going to happen. As long as it's not Jason Garrett and the Giants, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So <laughs> You uh, never want to see your ex doing well. That's that's yeah. basically what it comes down to. All right. So back to something Raiders fans might care about a little bit more. Uh, we saw Le'Veon Bell go to the Chiefs. That's an interesting pickup for the Chiefs. I'm a little surprised that they brought in Bell because you see Edwards Hilaire against the Bills the other night. Mm-hmm. Kid is like... He's incredible. He looks good. He looks like he's getting better every week, and he's quick, and he kind of kind of fits their scheme, it seems like. Bell with that, like, patient, I'm going to wait, dance around, hit the whole late zone running style. I don't know. What do you think about the fit, and how do you think Andy Reid's going to use him? Do you think that hurts the Chiefs at all? Do you think that could hurt their chemistry? Do you think it'll help them, or do you think it's neutral? Yeah, first and foremost, the Raiders had uh, interest in Le'Veon Bell. They actually called the Jets before they released him about a possible trade. Uh, didn't get it worked out. They wanted the Jets to eat a lot of the money before taking him on. Interesting. Uh, didn't work out. 
But Bell in Kansas City, I really look at this as an insurance move on Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I think one of the things that Bell does really well that doesn't get talked about is his pass protection. And I think that's something that a lot of young rookies and young players really struggle with. Yeah. Uh, he's quite a bit bigger than Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, so that could help him. You know, they get into a playoff game. Let's say they're going against Pittsburgh, right? A team that blitzes all the time. If you could put Le'Veon Bell out there and help protect Patrick Mahomes, that's probably more valuable than what you know Edwards-Hilaire could do as a runner or a receiver in terms of workload i don't see bell getting a ton of touches maybe seven eight touches a game just kind of rotating in uh but i don't think this is a all of a sudden kansas city is unbeatable now that they've signed levy on bell right right i i can't see him having a big part of the offense i just can't if he does if he is getting more touches than what you just said marcus i'd be stunned yeah, it just doesn't seem like that's what they're going to do with the rookie. I mean, look how well, look how well Clyde Edwards-Hilaire ran against uh, Buffalo here in Week 6. I, it's awesome. I, you just don't see that same kind of juice from Le'Veon Bell anymore. No, but you're right. He is a big back who they could put in there on third downs maybe and, you know, it's a pass protector mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I could definitely see them using him in a limited, interesting role in that regard. And, and there's no risk, right? I mean, they signed him to a $1 million contract. So if he's not good and he doesn't fit, I mean, they can release him and it costs them absolutely nothing. So... It's a smart move by Andy Reid and the yeah. Chiefs. No, it costs them nothing, but it, it, the Jets are still paying them, Marcus. The uh, Jets poor, are paying them all the money. Poor Jets. Oh, the poor Jets, Jets fans. No, I feel no, so bad for you. No, not, not me. Not me. You get me. <laughs> no, I, 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 I feel no pain for those Jets fans. Suck on it. I uh, love uh, it. <laughs> speaking of the AFC East and uh, one of those teams that the Raiders might be competing with for a playoff spot, the Miami Dolphins going mm. away from Fitzmagic. I was a little surprised to see that two is getting the start. Because it's not like Fitzpatrick is losing ball games, and the Dolphins seem like they're getting on a roll. They beat the crap out of the 49ers. They killed the Jets, too, which is not surprising. Anyway, the Jets are just terrible. Two a time in Miami. What do you think, Marcus? I love it. I think this is some so organizational I. clarity. So yeah, organizational clarity that not a lot of teams have, right? Uh, they look too too much in the short term. Fitzpatrick has been playing well. Seventh in QBR, uh, which is ESPN's metric to judge how well a quarterback's playing. But the Dolphins and Brian Flores, they know that this team is going to be Tua's team. And it's better off to know sooner rather than later if Tua is a franchise quarterback. Because if you wait a year and don't play him at all, okay, now the whole 2021 season is about evaluating Tua. And you could be two, three, four years down the line before you fix your quarterback situation. So it's better off to find find out now while the team is winning and they have some decent talent around them whether Tua is the answer or not. So I love it. I, I think it's a great move by Flores. Yeah, and it's not like, I know Tua got in there and the blowout went over the Jets this past week. It's not like Tua did anything during that game that is like, oh man, we got to get him out there. No, right? no, it's, it, it was no, in practice. I think it had smart. to be behind the scenes. They're seeing something that were like, okay, it's time to get the kid in there. Yeah, and I think this is the appropriate time too. With or excuse me, with Miami having having a bye week, yep, yep. they can use these next two weeks to prepare them. So uh, I think it makes a lot of sense. All right, Marcus, good stuff as always. Hey, enjoy some more NFC East uh, football on Thursday night. All right, and then we'll get to the we'll get to Sunday. Yeah, I'll try my best. It's going to be tough <laughs> to see which one we want to watch between the, the the debate or the football game. I think both of them are going to be uh, uh, some it's equally be bad. as terrible. <laughs> equally as terrible. Yeah. I might have to go with the football game because the, yeah. debate, the debate's just painful. I, I watched the first one and it's just painful i just can't well have you seen nfc east football it's just, <laughs> yeah. it's just, it's just bad. <laughs> no, I, I, I did watch the cowboys game on uh monday night so, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm interested i'm interested to see how it plays out this is actually one of my favorite storylines in the whole league <laughs> i hate it i hate every single part of it yeah you as you should as you should marcus so, uh, uh, all right man well have a great week all right yeah thanks ryan 
This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week.